love will find us You're never far away Battles behind us Battles ahead God, you were for us trust that it goes all the way before us and that we can then look back and see the testimonies of how he's been faithful. We can stand on his true promises. Let's continue singing about that this morning. Standing on the promises of Christ my Lord. Christ my King. Yep. You know what? Let's just start that again. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. 
Ambrose. Is he back there? I'm sorry. You didn't know I was going to say this, but I was talking with Ambrose this week, and he shared with me something that I think is going to stick with me for my life. He said, you don't see anybody lining up for trouble, do you? Nobody's standing in line waiting for these, these things that weigh us down, these heavy things in our life. Nobody's just standing there like, pick me, pick me. But yet it happens and we all have them. And as I see by your raised hands and your testimonies that you're choosing to bless the Lord through your difficult times, I believe that is, that is what he has for us. Amen. But I, I think that with this, um, we have to choose the right things to hold on to and the right promises that are grounded in scripture, right? I broke my 11-year-old's heart this week as we were talking through kind of some deep things and I, and I told her, Molly, that's actually not a promise that God gives you. And I, not, I don't need to share with you what that was, but I, I needed to tell her that's, that's a want that you have, but that's not a promise of God. But God does promise that if you don't get what you want, he knows better. Jesus is better, isn't he, Mara? And so we trust in him and his faithfulness and his goodness and not just the things that we want. God is unchanging. His ways are unchanging. His word is unchanging. Amen, church? Amen. And Kate's going to sing about uh, this unchanging nature of our God. And let's continue to remember that we must cling to the right things. And God and his nature and his faithfulness to us, that is what is right.
proclaimed your truth this morning, God, that you are the great I am. God, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Your faithfulness lasts through all generations. And we, your people today, praise you for who you are. We give all honor and all glory, God, to you. And God, for the, for the good things that have happened, for the ways that you're moving, God, we give you praise. We take no credit, God, but we give all the praise and the glory back to you. So we know every good and perfect thing comes from you. And God, for our struggles that we have chosen to bless you through and that we have uh, laid at your feet and that we have prayed, God, for, for deliverance and we've prayed for healing and we've prayed for you to move, Lord, I ask that you would help us to hold fast to who you are and your promise to work all things for the good of those who love you. Lord, I just ask for, for your peace that is promised uh, to be among your people. Lord, may we continue this morning to have open hands and open hearts and open minds to the way that you want to speak to us through Pastor Brian. God, we love you and we want our lives to look like that. It's in your son Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray these things and thank you. I was double-checking the calendar, in case you're wondering, the first day of spring is tomorrow. So I really hope the weather's paying attention and will knock off these shenanigans and bring back a little warm weather. So now when we have this big April snowstorm, it'll be all my fault because I've brought it up in this context. But I'm ready for spring. After tomorrow, you can break out the pastels, you can get out those spring colors out of your closet. Uh, I guess that's what the fashion police say that we're allowed to do, but it brings about this idea of new life and, and of, of hope and uh, just the chance to uh, live life in a different way, and, and Stephanie's in the back shaking her head. She's, she loves winter, and uh, we're not sure why, but you know, each of us have our quirks, and, but um, aren't you glad that we have a hope of better days, better days? And as you probably have seen or heard or hopefully recognize, uh, we have a theme that we're beginning today as we enter into this home stretch as we approach Easter. We're going to talk these next several weeks of, of the promises of God. And aren't you glad we have a God who keeps his promises? And we're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like for us, and, and how we can uh, not only be recipients of, of the benefits of his promises, but then how we then could be an extension of the fulfilled promises of God in the lives of others. Part of that, we're going to do this Thursday night. We mentioned a few weeks ago we were going to go to Marion to observe and to kind of take in what a Celebrate Recovery ministry would look like. That trip got postponed due to some illness from the staff in Marion. So we're going to go this Thursday night, March 23rd. We'll be leaving the church at 5 p.m. We've talked to a few that are interested in going, just kind of check, check that out, take that in, see what would that type of ministry look like here. And no definitive plans have been made yet. But we are trying to be open to what God would have for us. What hope could we share? What, what fulfilled promise might we be able to bring into the lives of those that are broken, that, that are struggling with, with addictions, with hang-ups, 
and, and with burdens that they've been dealing with for their entire lives. So if that'd be something that would be of interest to you, maybe that's something that's close to your life you've experienced or your loved one has been going through and this might be something you'd be interested in, please let me know and we will make sure that you're a part of our group that goes up this Thursday, March 23rd, leaving the church at 5 p.m. So let me transition really quickly to this idea of promise and where it started to become real for me in a very practical way. Uh, in 2019, um, 2018, probably, my, my daughter called us from college, very excited about an opportunity to, to go to Israel. And she's very excited. She really wanted to do this. It was her senior year of college, and she wanted to go and be able to do that. And we were like, well, if, if, if you can you know, raise the money for part, we'll help with part, and we'll try to make this happen. And she and her uh, husband-to-be was also going to go on this trip. And then through conversations, our other daughter, Brianna, was about to become a freshman. So we wonder if she would be able to participate as well. And we were able to get her part of, as part of the group. And then to go a step further, uh, the, the, the professor leading the group was a, a former pastor of my parents. So he had invited his former church to come along as well. So my mom and dad decided they would go on the trip to Israel as well. I don't know if my girls would have went if they would have known Grandma and Grandpa were going. But they all went together to, to Israel, to the Holy Land, if you will. And it was a very memorable trip. But perhaps not in the ways that many of us might expect. If you've ever been there, you probably understand what their takeaway was like. See, there's many things you see when, when you're in Israel. You see the traditional. Then you also get a chance, if you're with someone who really knows what they're doing, you get to see the real. There, there's what we traditionally attribute to as a certain site, but then there's the real site. Those who have studied, those who understand archaeology, those who have studied Scripture, they, they kind of know where to go. They kind of know the hidden places to visit, if you will, to help make the experience more significant. This was happening all throughout their trip. Uh, they would comment occasionally, send us messages about what they visited, and, and then how, how Dr. Mike would show them the, the real site or the real place or teach them the real thing that was, was supposed to have happened in this place or during this biblical time of experience. But the day that really resonated the most with each of them was the last day when they visited the Via della Rosa, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. They kind of walked the path that Christ walked in that last day during, after his arrest and crucifixion. They went to Golgotha, and they shared in communion. And just the emotional toll that that journey took, and to take communion in that place after seeing what Christ, or where Christ had gone through what he did, it stuck with them as I'm sure it would for each one who has done that or if we would ever bring our, have the opportunity to do that ourselves. This experience that Jesus went through, that we first see in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, and I'm not going to spend much time there today, you need to turn there if you don't want to, but we see in Luke chapter 22 a word that's emphasized more so than in other gospel accounts. A simple word, cup. We see the words used several times as Jesus is going through the Last Supper with his disciples, the celebration of the Passover. Jesus begins to emphasize the place that the cups have in the Passover festival, in the recognition of the Passover. Now, it's important for us to understand that Luke's gospel was written for Gentiles. And in case you're wondering, you and I, and most of us probably are Gentiles. We, we are, we're not Jewish. It was written for us. So Luke's gospel was written so that we could understand. So here Luke is emphasizing the cups of a Jewish festival for a Gentile audience. One might be curious as to ask, why? Why emphasize this part of the meal? Why emphasize the meal at all, other than it, for out of it we have our practice of communion? But at the beginning, again in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, if you keep reading in Luke chapter 22, you see this word cup show up again. Only this time, 
is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks, Father, if it be your will, I pray that this cup would be lifted from me. So he goes from using the illustrations of the cup, using the cups in the Passover festival, now praying that the cup would be lifted from him. Take this cup from me. Our takeaway is that each cup represents a part of God's plan for Israel, for his people. Each cup is symbolic of what happened, what God did, the promises God kept in the midst of the Passover. And to go back to the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, if you're visiting with us, if you're new to faith, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in the book of Genesis. On the sixth day, God created man and woman. Man and woman were given free will, the ability to choose. They, they chose themselves. They chose to sin in the garden. God kicked them out of the garden. Sin continued to be a part of man and, and woman's life. They continued to choose selfishly throughout the years, and the world got out of control very quickly. So much so that it was evil in God's sight in the days of Noah. And God said, I'm going to just start over. I'm going to destroy the earth, and I'm going to choose Noah. He's going to be the only ones I'm going to take care of and save, and I'm going to start all over again. He floods the earth. Noah and his family survive. They start again. Still, though, with free will, still the ability to choose. Again, we choose ourselves more often than not. So evil begins to again take root again. In the world again, so God now, so now he has this other plan. It's the plan that he started in the garden when, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, this enmity that God was going to put between his creation and between Satan, this person that's going to stand in between his son, who's foretold in Genesis, now begins to take shape as God calls Abraham. Abraham, I want you to pack up all your stuff, follow me to a land I've set apart for you, and you're going to be the, the, the father of my people which is curious to Abraham and Sarah because they didn't have any children at the time. But Abraham was obedient, packed up his stuff, followed after where God would lead him. God would lead him eventually to Canaan. Abraham would have a son, Isaac. Isaac would have a son named Jacob. Jacob would have a lot of sons, one of whom was named Joseph. Through Joseph's ability to interpret dreams as a gift from God, Joseph ended up being sold by his brothers, thrown into prison in Egypt. It's in prison in Egypt where God, really, we see his plan start to take shape, where Joseph was given the opportunity to, to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Then so doing was named second in command of all Egypt. Because of Joseph's wisdom, uh, the, the people of, of Egypt were able to save the food that they were able to harvest over seven plentiful years. During the years of famine, they had enough to live on. It was during famine that others would come to Egypt for food. Among them were Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers were, were finally revealed where Joseph was. They were a little bit afraid, but you know, God had a bigger plan than what we often do. And we see in this moment the beginning of God's promise to Abraham that, that he would be the birth, that he would be the, the, the father of, of God's people. And, and Jacob is eventually moved to Egypt. All of Joseph's family comes to Egypt, and there in Egypt they begin to prosper and multiply a lot. And over 400 years they grow into this nation, this people of God, to where eventually Pharaoh, the people of Egypt, get a little concerned so much so that they enslaved the, Egypt, or enslaved the Israelites. They hear God's people, that this nation of God set apart for his purposes now as captives and slaves in a nation not their own. They need freed. God sends Moses. Moses himself is a whole other important part of the story, but Moses goes to, to bring God's people out of Egypt. And out of this incredible story, we have Moses show up, we have the ten plagues, the final plague is the angel of death. And unless you obeyed the instructions of God and had blood, blood of the lamb painted over your doorpost, the angel of death would come and, to, and would kill the firstborn throughout all the land. We call this event the Passover. If the blood was on your doorpost, the angel of death would pass over your house. 
As God's people were led into the wilderness, every year they were instructed to celebrate the Passover, this fulfillment of God's promise that began all the way back in the Garden of Eden to bring God's people out, to use them as a tool, as a means of ministry, so that all people could come to know who God is, experience his love and his grace, and walk in relationship with him. That's a really quick summation of what happens leading up to this point. But we get to this point in Exodus chapter 6, we're going to focus on today, and this idea of why the cups are important, because during the Passover feast, there were four cups. Four cups used in this festival of celebration. Each cup representing part of God's plan for Israel, for his people. What we need to understand before we go any further is that God's plan, though, is eternal. It's still valid for us today because we are now his people. What was true for them in, in this day is true for us today. We see it lived out in the Great Commission. I first became aware of the significance of the four cups several years ago, about the same time as my daughters and my parents were in Israel experiencing communion, the very sight or sites where Jesus himself gave his life. I was intrigued and began to study and to research and quickly learned how much that I didn't know about what I thought I knew so much about. hope that makes sense. Understanding the cups changes how I approach and receive communion, how I understand and receive God's grace. Because in it, as we peel back the layers, we find this invitation to mission, invitation to the spiritual journey that each of us are on. And when we discover during this journey, the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We also discover in this journey the need for us to share this hope that we find in Jesus Christ. See, hope is a beautiful word. It's a word we all cling to. There's things in life that we hope for, but hope ultimately is realized in Christ alone. Hope is foretold in the book of Genesis. Hope is then foretold through Abraham's life. Hope is then realized through Moses. Now, many of us, I, I know you've perhaps heard it said, I've heard it said, even recently I've heard it said, well, I, I'm, I'm glad that I, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, I'm, I'm glad for that too. But I want you to know the Old Testament is very relevant in our lives today. For us to discount it, it removes the teachings and the learnings that we can glean from it so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. Because what happened in, in the Old Testament is still happening in the world today. We are chasing after our own wants, our own desires, we're repeating the same mistakes, and we're in need of the same hope. The Old Testament foretells the coming of Jesus, foretells the coming of hope that we're going to find in this convergence, if you will, of the recognition of the Passover and its fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ himself. More than 3,000 years ago, God made four promises to his people who were in slavery in Egypt. More than 3,000 years ago, God began to unfold his eternal plan that we are still part of today. In 2 Peter verses, chapter 1, verse 4, Peter writes, Through these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Did you catch that? So that we may participate in the divine nature. Let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> promises have a purpose. God's promises are so that we can participate in the divine nature of God. 
God's promises aren't so that we could sit back and enjoy life however we would choose, so that we could reap the benefits of the fruit of his fulfilled promises, but rather his promises are so that we could rest in the divine, rest in the holy presence of God. That's why he gives us promises. That's what we're invited to participate in. That's what we're invited to be a part of. And we have to ask the question, what are we participating in right now in our lives? Is it divine? Are the world's realities more visible in your life than God's realities? We were created to participate, to live life under the shadow of the umbrella of his holiness. This is a promise that offers us a guaranteed result. Chances are that each one of us has yet to receive the full benefits of this offer. That's the point of us continuing to grow in our faith. There's still something still on the table for us to receive. There's still something we've not yet fully come to understand. And, And that's the beautiful part of continuing to walk with him, to be his disciple, to follow after him. I wonder, have you ever experienced a broken promise? Or have you yourself, have you ever broken a promise. I probably would venture to say that most of us have, if not all of us have. We've probably even broken a promise ourselves. But aren't you excited and glad to know that God has not ever broken a promise? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. This is from the message. We read, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. Because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus waits for us, where we find Jesus. As God fulfills his promises through the life of his son, we become the benefactors of that kept promise. That's what this conversation we're beginning today is all about, to run for our very lives after the promises of God, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. I wonder too often if we want to experience the promises of God without his presence. We want the benefits of what a relationship with God offers us without having to spend time with God. And I hope as I say that, you recognize That doesn't make sense. That that's not who God is. He wants us to do life with him. He wants to do life with us. There's no let me have the benefits, give me my allowance, God, so that I can continue to live life the way that I want to. That's not how it works. 1 Chronicles chapter 17 is a chapter that basically talks about how God's fulfilling the the promise he's making to David. And David responds in verse 19, you've made known your great promises. That God's promises are found in his word. He makes them known to us every day. We simply read and we absorb it and we digest and we seek to understand it. His promises can be real to us. As Amy shared during our time of worship, sometimes we tend to fill God's mouth with the promises we would like him to keep. It's not how it works. But there's no shortages of promises that God makes for us in his word if we would just take the time to find them, to grab hold of them, to, to, to... own them, to claim them. To discover the promises of God takes a little bit of work on our part. I wonder uh, what promises in God's word might you need to hear this morning? When life gets hard or difficult, 
when it's praiseworthy and great, or when you're wounded, lost, or lonely, when everything's going well, what promises do you grab hold of with both hands? What promises do you hope in? Here's a few promises that maybe you need to hear this morning. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If fear has a hold of your life right now, grab hold of this promise. You don't need to be afraid because God is your light and your salvation. Maybe you're afraid of temptation, afraid of Satan's hold upon you. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than than the one who is in the world. Be reminded of that today. It's still true. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Philippians four nineteen. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion. Our God is a God who keeps his promises. We could be here all day reading about the promises of God, the ones perhaps that you've grabbed hold of, the ones that you own. Maybe uh, as, as, as you go to the dentist this week and you don't like the dentist, you're afraid of the dentist. Well, you can grab hold of Psalm 81, verse 10. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. <laughs> trust me, God says. You can trust me. I've proven myself to you. You can find your hope in me. Trust me. About 13 years ago, my wife and I had been praying about a transition or a, a, just whatever God was doing in our life, and he led us to West Virginia to, to talk to a church there. And God had been doing some things in our life leading up to this point. He'd been kind of responding to the fleece that we'd set out before, and we knew he was up to something. But as we sat in, in this community, in the hotel overnight before this meeting with this church, and we drove through the community the next morning, we were just, I think both of us were like, we don't want to come here. This isn't what we want. And before the interview that evening, we were getting ready. I was sitting in the youth room, and I just remember just sitting down on the couch and just tears in my eyes saying, God, what about my kids? I don't want to come here. And God very clearly said, I'll take care of your children. It was a promise that he gave to me. And I have to be honest, that's not what I wanted him to say in that moment. Because in that moment, before I'd even talked to a single board member, God was affirming in my heart that this is where he wanted us to come. I didn't want to hear that right then. So sometimes God's promises aren't what we want to hear, but they're always what we need to hear. God did take care of our children. And what God didn't tell me in that moment was, oh, and by the way, I'm going to send you three more. So we went with five, we left with eight. (laughs) Not that that would have changed anything, and I'm very thankful that he did. But God keeps his promises. We fast forward 11 years as we sat in the, we stood in the gymnasium with your church board before we'd even had a bowl of chili on that first night of meeting. During the time of prayer in a circle in a gym, God whispered to me, I want you to relax. This is where I want you to be. He was already at work. God keeps his promises. He goes before us. He leads the way. We just put ourselves in a position where we hear him and are willing to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense. 
Now, God gives us some promises in his word that we're going to talk about over these next four weeks together. But I want us to understand that his promises are something that we can depend upon. We can lean into them. We can believe him. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not human, that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak, then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? It says, no, God does what he says he's going to do. He keeps his promises in his time, in his way. And along the way, he also is creative enough to teach us some lessons of faith that help us grow in our faith, grow closer to him. So through knowing his promises through his word, we come to know him a little bit better. And we don't get to dictate the promise, but we do get to enjoy the fruit of his promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 20, I'm, chapter 1, verse 20, I'm sorry. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. doesn't matter how many promises there are, Jesus Christ fulfills them all in our lives. And when, he, when, when Paul talks about so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God, amen literally means so be it. So through him, so be it, Paul says. Through Jesus Christ, so be it. You're going to find fulfillment through Jesus Christ and get to experience the promises that God has for us. We're called in Scripture to test his promises, to lean on his promises, to pursue his promises. This requires action from us. We need to step out. We need to do something, put ourselves in a position to experience the keeping of the promise. Now, the word biblical promise, if you look it up in the Hebrew, literally translates to make a future guarantee. I guarantee it. Now, I'm sure that some of you have been watching March Madness this weekend, and you, you would have guaranteed some teams would win some games they didn't. God's not subjective to our limited humanity. When he makes a guarantee, it will come true. Here's my promise. If we know, if we pursue his promises, if we pursue God, we will grow in our faith. That's a promise that I, I guarantee you will come true. If we know his promises, if we pursue our relationship with him, we will grow. That, that is just a natural expression. That's a, like kind of a promise that doesn't cost me anything because we all know that to be true. So what are the four promises that we're going to focus on these next four weeks? We find them in the book of Exodus, in the life of Moses. During this time of, 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 of turmoil in, in the life of, of the Israelites, they've now been enslaved for 400 years. The Egyptians are using them to build this incredibly great uh, nation, the, the, the biggest, strongest nation in the world at this time. The Israelites are, are made to make bricks for the building of the pyramids, of the cities, of all that we see or have seen in Egypt. And God hears the moanings of his people. He calls to Moses through a burning bush. Moses has since run away from Egypt. There's a whole other story behind that. And for the last 40 years, he's been a shepherd in the land of Midian. And God shows up in a burning bush and says, Moses, I've got a job for you. I want you to go and to free my people. And Moses is like, well, who am I to do that? You're right, you're nobody, but I'm God. And I'm up to something. And Moses began to make excuses, and God answered each one. And God would send Moses back to Egypt. And with this, uh, this, this mission, God gave Moses words to say to his people. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being slaves to them, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And in these two verses, 
we see four incredibly powerful promises, not just for God's people in Egypt, but for us today. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'll take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Four promises that God is still keeping in our lives today. We see this practice of the Passover Seder, this festival of recognition of God fulfilling his promises. And in this Passover Seder, there's, each promise is represented by a cup. For us, we have this promise of communion, uh, this promise of grace. What we see in the Passover festival are four expressions of grace. Because we're invited to his table. We recognize as we sit there that there has to be more. See, the Passover that the Israelites experienced coming out of Egypt was just the beginning of God's story. This was God's chosen people. And out of, out of God's people would come the, the true hope that each of us find form of Jesus Christ. I will bring you out. It's a first promise. It's it's a promise of salvation. It's a promise of sanctification. It's of being set apart for God's purposes. It's not defined or or realized in attendance or even in one's relationship with a church. This speaks directly to the heart of our relationship with God. So I wonder, I ask you this morning, have you drank from this first cup? This cup of salvation, this cup of being brought out from under the yoke. Now, we don't, we're not under the yoke of the Egyptians, but we're under this yoke of oppression, this yoke of sin, uh, the, the, this yoke of, of whatever's in your life that holds you down. Have you drank of this first cup of God bringing us out from underneath that which strives to keep us down? The burdens, uh, the, the things in life that, that have taking control, the things that drain us, the things that grab hold of us. Have we allowed God to come in to bring us out from under the yoke of all of that which would hold us down? In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, we kind of see a summation of what these things might look like in our lives today. At one time, Paul writes to Titus, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by his Holy Spirit. He saved us. He brought us out. See, that first promise that God made to the Israelites, he's still making to us today. That first cup is still being offered us if we will just grab it and drink of it, we too can receive what God promised the Israelites then. We have to be willing to look in the mirror and and truly acknowledge and see if this is us. Are we those who have been foolish, disobedient, or deceived, or enslaved by the passions and pleasures of this world? Do we have malice and envy in our hearts, being hated or hating one another? Or has the kindness and love of our God appeared in our hearts and lives? Have we allowed him to bring us out? Interestingly, though, as you were, if you go through a Passover Seder, which, which we will be having on April 6th, I hope that you'll plan to join us for that. It's going to be a very incredible time of bringing together all of these ideas that we'll be talking about these next several weeks. The Seder begins with, if you will, this search for the leaven. 
Not leaven or, or yeast is what's used to make bre- bread rise. Well, God's people left Egypt in such haste that there was not time for, the, to, for bread to rise on their journey. So they used unleavened bread in the Passover celebration. It was used to, to recognize or to symbolize how fast God is at work. So the, this, this idea of searching for the leaven is to make sure before you begin the festival that you're searching for anything that might be impure in the midst of, of our celebration. They would go a step further and even remove it from their house. Not only could they not use it in their bread during this time, they would take it out of their house completely. So it begins with this idea, is there anything before we get started that's impure in your life that's there that shouldn't be there? And if you find it, get rid of it. See, they get started in the right way, making sure that there's nothing there that shouldn't be. God brought us out that we could be Free. We'll talk about these other promises. They, they all build upon one another, and we're, we're on this journey these next four weeks together. But we need to begin our search today by asking, is there anything impure that doesn't belong? God promises if we're willing to find it, to acknowledge it, to come and to take us out from under it. The next step in the fest will be the lighting of candles and then the blessing. And right away, they get to the very first cup. The first cup's referred to as the Kaddush. Literally means set apart or an imparted holiness. God imparts his holiness upon us. And we are made holy simply because God has stepped into our lives. Not because anything that we have done or anything else that's happened in our lives yet, but because he is there, he imparts his holiness upon us. We're set apart for his purpose, special service to him. He removes us from the impure so that we could be used by him. In essence, God gives us a bath, a spiritual bath. We, we replicate this idea in, in the act of baptism. When we acknowledge that we are his people, we are set apart, washed by the blood of the Lamb. This promise of being set apart, of being saved, or sal- a promise of salvation, of sanctification, is available to each one of us. Even if we're not yet in a relationship with God, he is still today offering us this promise. He has taken us out <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking of someone you'd like to take out in a not-so-good way. Drink from the first cup. Believe and be saved. Grab hold of this promise. This is where the journey begins. It's not the final step. It's just the beginning. There's an important learning for us in this. Salvation is not the final step. It's just the beginning. If salvation is all God's grace means to us, then we really don't understand what God's grace is all about. It's just the first step. But it's an important one. You can't take step two without taking step one. You don't get to step four without taking steps two and three. But we have to do them in the right order, in God's order. It begins with us allowing God to take us out from under what it is that keeps us bound. Those foolish, selfish choices, either those things that we do or allow into our lives that don't belong, the disobedience and the deception we allow into our lives, the way that we live life, or do we allow God to come in and replace those things with the kindness and the love of God himself, with the righteousness that he imparts upon us? Do we let him come as he gives us the first cup, as he invites us to drink? What's our response? What will we choose to do? We're all participating in something right now question for us is, is it divine? 
Is it of this world or is it of God? Is it pure or is it holy? Is it selfish or is it selfless? Are the world's realities in our lives more visible than God's realities? We were created to participate in the divine. We're invited to participate in the divine. Promises have a purpose. God's promises are to help us to become the people of God that he created us to be. So that not only can we be recipients of hope we find in Jesus Christ, so that we could share that hope with others. So the Exodus that we read about in the Old Testament, it's about God moving his people from one kingdom to another. In the New Testament, we still see God moving his people from one kingdom to another. There's still an exodus occurring in our lives today where one that needs to occur. We'll simply allow God room. We take hold of that first cup. If we choose to participate in the divine, we become people who stand on the promises. And we too can be led into a new kingdom. I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us this morning. And we're going to close. I think Amy needs another go at this song since she kind of had a hiccup there the first time. And, <laughs> and we are going to be a people, not just for these next four weeks, but in the years to come, to stand on the promises of God. So might this be an encouragement, a calling, if you will, a challenge for each of us to go as children of promise, children who live under the promises of him, who desires today to bring us out from under that which keeps us bound. Let me pray for you. Father, there's a lot of good news in your word. A lot of good promises. And Lord, we come to you this morning for, from different places in life. We've experienced different things this week, different uh, struggles that we're dealing with. But Lord, in your word, there's a promise that speaks to whatever each one of us is going through. We're not that unique. Our situation is not so new that it's, that it's unknown to you. Your word covers it all. I pray this morning, God, we would grab hold of it. We would recognize it. We would dig into it. Lord, we would find in your word that which we need to hear. Not just what we want to hear. Lord, what we need to hear today. Might we be people of promise. Might we be people, Lord, who choose to drink of the first cup. To allow you, Lord, to bring us out from under that which keeps us bound starting a new journey today, Father, and I pray that you would put in us a hunger and a thirst to know more. Lord, we would eagerly come next week wanting to know what's the second cup and what's the third cup. God, so we, we want all that we can, we want to learn all that we can from you, Lord. We don't want to be left out or, or be short on anything. Might this Easter celebration, this time of Lent, this time of preparation be unlike any other before. God, might we pray the same prayer next year as well. Help us never to settle. I think we know all that we need to know. To think that we've arrived, to think we don't need any more of you. Because God, I know that that's certainly not true. I thank you, Lord, for being a God who keeps his promises. So today, God, whatever it is, whoever it is, needs to hear from you. You speak. Whoever needs lifted up, Lord, lift them up. Whoever needs brought out, Lord, from under, bring them out. God, be glorified, I pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth we find in your word, for the promises that we find in you, through the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray this morning. Amen. Let's celebrate and worship him this morning. Let's sing. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. 
Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. I'm standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. I'm standing on the promises that cannot fall. One more time. I'm staying. 